Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. This one is by far the most exciting existential conversation I have had the opportunity to have. This conversation is with none other than Kate Montana, prolific author, expert on the ego, and someone who opened up a plethora of subjects for me to talk to her about, including the ego, of course, quantum physics, our reality, politics, and of course, Donald Trump, and how enlightened Enlightenment is a very human and organic process and we shouldn't try and force it. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Make what you will and for those of you who find the quantum physics too out there, just hang on. It gets better with every minute. So without further ado, let's listen in to Kate Montana. Hello, Kate. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? It's wonderful to be on the show. Thanks, Serafina. Kate, you absolutely fascinate me. I mean, from your website and the interview on the ego, who is Kate? Who am I? You know, <laughs> we're just positive energy and we happen to be chatting on something called Zoom. So I'd really like to start by talking about ego trippia. What kind of trip is it and where can we access it? Well, I have a Facebook live show called Ego Trippia. I kind of racked my brains about what to call the show because I wrote a book uh, that Simon & Schuster brought out last year called The E-Word, Ego, Enlightenment, and Other E-Essentials. And so I just thought it would be fun to have live conversations with people, to bring people into topics that I think are pertinent around the ego, which, of course, you are totally focused in and zeroed on the ego as well, which I just love about your show. And so I've been doing it for a year and I just love it because the ego is a trip. It takes us on a journey. It takes us for a ride that we don't most of the time even know we're on because the ego comes in when we're born and it starts to develop at that point because our senses, our eyes, ears, nose, skin, tongue, our sensory organs keep giving us the information 24-7, 11 million bits of information a second telling us, hey, Serafina, you're over there. And in what country are you in? I'm in England, London, England. You're you're in England. Okay, wait. Wow, you're way over there. And I'm way over here on the west coast of the United States. And there's all this distance between us. And that's the lie that our bodies give us 24-7 that creates the sense of the separate self, which is, ta-da, the ego. So I have finally, after 35 years on the spiritual path, taking very things very, very seriously, <laughs> I have finally got spit out the other end. And yes, I still take things seriously sometimes, and I sometimes beat my head against the wall, and my ego sometimes dominates and gets me by the throat. But the periods in which that happens get shorter and shorter. And that's one of the things I wanted to do on Ego Trippia, is to expose the journey. You know, even spiritual teachers who have got the understandings that I've gotten to, we're still operating in the human form, and we're still dealing with the ego. 
So it's been a really fun and kind of scary to be so real and candid and exposed. But, you know, if we don't do that, Serafina, then we're just perpetuating the BS in the spiritual arena. The whole world is locked into politically, socially, economically, and sexually every other way. So that's what Ecotripia is about, roughly. It's almost as if that's what the world needs, because obviously I am within the spiritual realm and I have sort of been born into it. So for me, life has been all about talking to different spiritual leaders, studying different spiritual texts. But what I love about you is that you actually come across to any human being as someone who owns her humanity, who owns her spirituality, and who shows us that it can be one or the other. You don't have to give one up to get the other. And if it happens on its own, guess what? It happens. Yeah. And then that's like a natural progression. You know, it's not something you take on, like getting a six pack or earning a million dollars. It's not a plan that you follow. It's something evolve into. Absolutely. And, and that's what I wanted to leave with, because for my audience, I tend to have experts on, I tend to have philosophers on, but you're really a treat because you're going to actually delve into the ego in a way we haven't actually had an opportunity to talk to anyone about. Interesting. Um, Do you want to start by just telling us quickly what your definition of the soul and the ego is, and then we'll get on to... Absolutely. But before I do that, I'd really like to comment on what you just said, is that it really is a journey and enlightenment, which is the carrot at the end of the stick of spirituality. That's supposed to be the goal we're all striving for. The ego yet once again has set us up to go on this journey of striving and struggle and trying to get to an end goal result that I, Kate Montana, or you, Serafina, or anybody in the audience is going to accomplish, just like getting your PhD, just like getting a raise at work. And it's such a disservice because you are absolutely nailed it. It is a natural journey. Enlightenment is the natural result of a life well and fully lived as a human being. Now, what is a human being? So, you know, before I can define ego, before, you know, we get into ego and spirituality, it's like, well, what is a human being? On this planet, we have a tendency to think of the human being in the old religious terms as, you know, this case of flesh that drags us down and that we have to struggle to surmount all of the odds that the flesh throws at us. And that's absolutely true. But... (laughs) (laughs) But, there's a but at the end. (laughs) There is a but at the end. Is If we can wrap our heads around the fact that there is really, truly no difference between spirit and flesh, Mm. they are one and the same thing. So, and quantum physics explains this beautifully. Indelibly, it gives us the understanding that we are energy, that we are information, that we are not physical beings at all. So that's the beauty of marrying mysticism and a little bit of science is because that gives us the proof in the pudding. That satisfies the ego's intellectual need for information and proof. Of course, there is no proof of spirit, but aren't you sitting there? Aren't we having this conversation? That's the proof of spirit right there. I am that I am. Exactly. And it's the marriage of flesh and spirit. It is one thing. But the ego likes to make it two because we live in a world of perceptual duality where, again, you're over there, I'm over here. Some guy's a guy, I'm a woman. There's up and down and right and wrong and good and bad and fat and skinny and all those dualistic perceptions that the senses give us. So that's what triggers the ego. That is the pattern. That is the information flow 24-7 into our brains that 
over and over and over and over constantly gives us the message of I am a separate standalone unit. Now, when I'm a little baby, you know, I start to learn language and my mommy talks to me and goes, oh, do, 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 Kate, oh, do, Kate, you know, and the brain doesn't know what the hell Kate is, but eventually the brain absorbs the information. There's this vague sense, this unconscious awareness that we have that we lose track of. But as little infants, we are aware, and this is how we learn, that there's something outside of us. The blanket is outside of me. My little teddy bear is outside of me. The floor is not in my skin. And so the sensory input tells me there's something else and other and out there. And then I learn language and I learn my name and it's my name. And it's attached to this weird, strange perception that I am separate that I am distinct from the floor in the kitchen cabinets and the dog and mommy and daddy. And so if I had one wish, Serafina, for everybody listening, is that everybody on the planet, if we could for one moment glimpse the depth of our programming into the lie of believing that we are separate from life itself, mm. then that would, that would heal everything. But... <laughs> But we're dealing with what we're dealing with. So, you know, we have to be real about it. So this is what the spiritual journey has become for me, is helping people understand what the ego is, how it's born. I just tapped into that, that, you know, our senses, you know, start programming the baby brain from the moment we're spit out of the birth canal. And so it's that onslaught of information telling me I'm separate all the time creates a foundation of fear. It creates a foundation of distance and aloneness that sets the stage for ego insecurity. We come in desperately insecure and we don't even know it. So our lives become about this journey of trying desperately to connect and to not feel lost and to not feel alone, not feel separate. That's the ego. That's how it sets the stage. In spiritual arena, we like to bash the ego a lot. Just like we kind of like to bash the body and then, well, that's what's keeping me trapped here on earth and I want to get out of here and this place sucks and oh Jesus, if I could just get out there to heaven, everything would be okay. I'll just meditate all the time. You know, I'll keep my eyes closed. I won't engage life because it's just too painful. Mm. But the ego is, if we can get a handle on this program that it's giving us and why we're insecure and frightened and why we feel distant and separated and disconnected. And then we can start to work with the ego. The ego actually is a tool. Yeah. It's an identity that we use so that we can have this conversation. If I didn't have this ego and you never would have contacted me, you never would have started the show, you would just be this undifferentiated I am that I am not expressing. But you are an ego expressing through that body. And I think, I think you touched upon some very important points that I have found has required an even greater level of compassion and an even greater level of understanding from my point of view of people I left behind. Cause I used to work in banking and I was there for about 10 years on the trading floor. Mm -hmm. Serious work, you know. Serious work. Yeah. Power work and all of that. And I've just lost friends when I've got onto this path and made a commitment. Absolutely. But I, understand that their journey is not the same as mine for me an unchecked ego which is the way I like to think about an ego that is unidentified and one that we're unaware of is almost as if we're carrying around a little cage that we have put onto our head and we're trying to kiss other people but we don't realize that we are the only ones that can take that cage off yeah and then you build a life around yourself to support the way you present yourself the way you appear 
Yep. And that life is so well constructed because I think everyone is a type A in the 21st century. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why people try and I think everyone is a type A. You've got to have the house. you got to have the car. you got to have this, you know. And in that realm, it's so hard to lift up your head from your smartphone or take it away from your computer screen that you don't even have moments or intimate few seconds in your day to think about what is this actually going to amount to? Mm -hmm. Am I am I really going to just pay bills and die? Is that mm -hmm. going to be me? Because there's no need. Often people go through great tragedies and still don't feel the need. So mm -hmm. it's about, I think, two worlds existing or more. So many possibilities existing side by side. And that making up the whole energy of what we call our existence. Mm -hmm. But within that realm of the ego and even the unchecked ego, what I find, and I think a lot of people find, is the levels of panic these days are slowly rising. You know, the level of separation, as you were saying, especially between the state and people, is increasing to levels that is causing so much fear and so disproportionately large amounts of polarization that I think the need for us to have these conversations is increasing greatly. And something you have done has really excited me beyond measure because I did start my journey with what the bleep do we know. Oh, <laughs> And, and you wrote a book called Ghetto Physics, you know, and you yeah. co-wrote it with the creators of that movie. In today's political climate, how could people benefit from ghetto physics? I'm going to back up <laughs> and go back to this panic, this social panic, this uh, fear inside of us, because we are riding a tsunami of divisiveness. We're seeing the polarization in the United States where there's all of a sudden we've got a Donald Trump and a rabidly conservative faction and that just wants to be insulated, isolated, and it's based in fear. And it's about me, 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 mine, mine, mine. I need to get mine. And then on the other hand, there is the liberal faction that is actually beginning to expand their ego and become more inclusive and starting to relax those boundaries and barricades of self-protection, of ego protection, and recognizing that the old way of me, 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 mine, 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 gimme, 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 you know, he who dies with the most toys wins is, of course, killing ourselves, killing the planet, and is no longer working. So we have this amazing dichotomy right now. It's fascinating. And I think it's easy to get lost in the panic and the unhappiness of, oh my God, why is this happening? And it's really, really scary. And is Donald Trump, you know, sorry, I'm not in the UK, so I'm going to have to do my political fears over here. So, you know, is he going to push the red button and we're all going to go up in a poop? He's in a, enough here. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and so, but the flip side of that is is that we can't deal with anything we can't see. And so humanity is getting its shadow side shoved up its nose. We are being forced to witness how desperately self-serving the ego is, how frightened it is, how narrow it is, how cruel it is, how divisive it is. And actually, I, you know, my Ego Trippia show last night was on anger because I woke up a couple of days ago and I was enraged, Serafina. I was enraged about everything. Children locked in cages, immigrants being turned away from our borders, the lack of health care. I was enraged about everything. And instead of pushing it away, you know, the spiritual response to that is, oh, well, I shouldn't be angry. I should be happy. Let me go meditate. And I was like, screw that. This feels really, really righteous. 
Because if we look at the scale of consciousness and the emotions that the ego engages in and triggers in this body, anger is close to the higher ground in consciousness on a scale which is the bottom is shame. If you're familiar with David Hawkins' work, his map of consciousness and the different levels and frequencies of the emotions we experience. Shame and fear and guilt, they're on the bottom. And of course, enlightenment is the peak and with joy and love and all of that up there and compassion at the high end. But anger is a great motivator. So, you know, back to this whole, you know, how can we be healthier? How can we be more inclusive? Well, we have to be more inclusive with ourselves. Instead of judging and separating, you know, oh, well, anger is bad and love and compassion is good. How the hell can we get to love and compassion unless we embrace our anger that's righteous, mm. that can take us out of apathy, that can take us out of immobility, that can mobilize us to get out in the world and take action to engage the world, to get us into situations where we are forced to learn compassion. And so we are a whole meal deal, but the ego keeps trying to separate and divide everything. And that's how the mind works. It's a categorizing machine. That's what it does. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool for that. But when we start running our lives thinking, that, well, yes, this good, that bad, either this or that, that's part of the ego's game, one where we want to really bridge our minds is to not either or, but both and, not exclusivity, but inclusivity. And of course, at this point, I have no idea what you actually asked me about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> We're very organically progressing towards it. It was about ghetto physics, because you do bust a few myths of our world and corruption and all kinds of things that are very much in the forefront at the moment, you know, and I thought the audience could really benefit from hearing about Absolutely. Ghetto Physics, I wrote with Will Arntz and E. Ray Brown, um, boy, back I think in 2012. I actually worked with the filmmakers of What the Bleep Do We Know? And to this day, I work with them. Actually, I'm working with Will on his next book. And Betsy Chassie and I do a lot of programs and stuff together. Actually, we're starting a publishing company. And so it's been a wonderful collaboration for almost 14 years now. The whole point of ghetto physics was to bring the understanding of quantum physics. The simple message of quantum physics is that we are all energy and that there is no difference between you and me. There is no differentiation. We live in the world of Schaumkommen. We live in the world of appearances. And that's what quantum physics, did, that we're all connected. You know, there's the theory, there's entanglement, where if one electron bumps another electron, those two electrons, they have something called spin, which actually isn't spin, but I won't get into angular momentum. You know, if those two guys bump into one another, they're pen pals forever. One electron goes spinning off a million light years away and the other one is in your living room. And if the spin state of the electron in your living room changes, its pen pal spin changes at the same instant a million light years away. So that's called entanglement. There isn't anything in this universe that's separate from anything else. So if we could begin to understand, if people in the street could begin to understand, if first graders could be taught these simple, simple, well, actually very highly complex, but fundamentally simple facts of life, if we could take it to the streets, if we could take it to, well, we all live in a ghetto. A ghetto is a boundaried area in which a certain segment of society lives. And there are high-end ghettos and there are low-end ghettos. But if we could take it and start, that kind of information is what will break down the separation and the walls between us. And begin to marry spirituality with science so that we've got, wow, the ego's intellect is satisfied and the heart is satisfied. Because then we start to go, oh, wow, I don't have to be afraid of Seraphina. She's really walking the same walk I am. 
she's may have a slightly different experience or a radically different experience, but she's still a human being like I am. Mm. She's still having the exact same issues that she's dealing with. Fear, insecurity, self-doubt, all of those things. And wow, the more inclusive we can become and the more we can identify ourselves in others, the world will be a much, much better place. And so that was the intent of ghetto physics, was to take this kind of what could be seen as highbrow esoteric information and take it to the streets, which is actually what I really want to do. I'm going to be starting, I'm developing a curriculum for a whole educational system called How Life Works, a system for radical change that I'm going to be launching this fall. And it's an educational program, not just for spiritual program, uh, spiritual people, <laughs> but to educate seniors in nursing homes and how they can have a better life, how they can apply the facts of life and how life really works mm. and turn their lives around at 60 and 70 and 80. You know, millennials, give them the facts of life. This is what you're dealing with here. Yep. This is what is really going on. Don't let the rest of the bullshit blind you. This is what's going on. Now do with this information what you will. So I'm incredibly excited. My whole life is turning into this whole project of getting it to the streets. <laughs> so I'm so glad you brought ghetto physics up. That's great. No, I love the whole concept of bringing this knowledge to people. But what I do find, and I don't know if you found this, but the whole idea of quantum physics, in fact, one of my friends who has worked for about 30 years, retired recently, a very rich man, and has just decided to study quantum physics because he's convinced that he can get to enlightenment through his mind. And I obviously mm -hmm. don't think so, but that I'm going off subject. What I wanted to say to you about quantum physics is that when we go through a bad time in our life, it gives me comfort to know that it all actually is in my ego. You know, I'm actually connected. I'm actually love. I'm actually compassion. So when I'm going through a bad time, that's good knowledge to have something I can get comfort from. But when I'm going through a good time, I'm like, hang on a second. No, I want my good time. I want to own it. This is my good time. I'm having it with all these people around me. I don't want it to be energy. I want it to be my good time. So when I talk to people about spirituality, they always tell me, why were we born if we're all just energy? Point of thinking about life that way. Why are you doing this podcast? Why did you write that book? Why are you doing this? Why did you change your life path? I mean, it's difficult to talk to a layman about this unity that we all share mm -hmm. in the context of our problems, in the context of our fun, and in the context of life and planning it as we know it. Absolutely. That's the conundrum right there. You put it in a nutshell. The more expansion you get in your consciousness, the more you embrace, the more inclusive you become, the more paradox begins to show up and resolve itself. That's this whole both and thing rather than the either or thing. Yes, we are all just energy at the quantum level. Well, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> What do we do with that now? Okay. What do we do with that now? So, you know, to a great extent, you know, the layperson is absolutely right. It's like, well, who cares? Whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm concerned about paying my bills. I'm concerned about my kid's anorexia. I'm concerned about my spouse's infidelity, the dog's cancer. So how do I deal with those things day to day? Tell me how to help myself. How is knowing that I'm energy going to help those things? The best I'm able to come up with so far, Serafina, is that is that when we start to understand that we are all hooked together, that we are all one, even if it's just an intellectual understanding, there is cold comfort in that. If we believe it, and if we trust what science is saying, there's, there is a certain level of cold comfort in that, knowing that the next guy is going through what I'm going through. 
if we begin to learn how to sense energy, our biofield, you know, we have a biofield and we can actually, when somebody walks in the room and they're in a rotten mood and, you know, all of a sudden you pick up on it instantly. It's just like, whoa, is everything okay? When we can start to awaken people to become more aware of how already sensitive and energy attuned they are, then they start to enter the dance. Then they start to go, oh, oh, I get it. That feeling that, oh, yeah, well, you know, I knew Aunt Maud was calling me when the phone rang. And absolutely, yes, you're hooked up. Well, okay, well, what's that going to do for me? Well, what that can do for them is that as they gradually become attuned to the fact that they are energy and start tuning in to what energy feels like and how they are using energy 24-7, then they start to understand that, well, emotions are emotion. They're energy in motion. There's feelings through my body. And, oh, my God, well, yes, there is a movement to that. Well, can I shift those emotions? Can I shift that energy signature that's riding me fiercely right now and, and making me crazy? <gasps> yes, I can. Oh, my God, I can take a deep breath. <gasps> fill my lungs and feel my body energetically relax and a little bit of that anger or that fear or that frustration subside. So it's this gradual introduction of the concept of energy to people and training them to start to tune in. And the more that they tune in, the more they can start to regulate their own bodies and their own energy field and their own emotions. I think, oh my God, you say so many wise things. I just want to grab all of it. I'm just having such a fantastic time. I think you're right. It's gradual introduction and it's about making people aware. But what I find is that people are so used to being people, automated people mm -hmm. of this modern day life that mm -hmm. when they become a little aware that they have this zing thing, you know, or mm -hmm. woo woo or whatever they want to call it, <laughs> it, it freaks them out. They don't yeah. want to handle it. And the tradition that I was brought up in, because my mom moved to the Himalayas and we studied in the Vedic tradition, the presence of a guru in your life allows for protection and allows for guidance. It's not that you are forced to follow a certain route. Like I'm here today doing a podcast. I'm following Buddhism. You know, my life is different. So no one forced me to do that. But I've kind of always felt protected. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like been in my family. So I think for a normal person who's starting to feel energy, could we talk a little bit about protection or getting guidance? And I know when the student is ready, the teacher appears. But it's about, I don't know, what is it about? Is it about being positive? Is it about having that courage? Is it about the conviction that they're always protected? How can people, once they gradually begin to entertain this idea that they're energy, find ways to feel protected. You know? Wow, is that a really good, in you know, and I'm not too sure I can answer that right off the cuff. Yeah. How can you feel more protected? You know, it is scary. Hands down, it's a scary process. When I hit the spiritual trail, I was working as a telecasting editor for ABC Sports, NBC, ESPN, BBC, uh, traveling around the world, thinking I was hot, uh, you know, doing all this stuff. And when I learned about the spiritual aspect of myself, I left that world entirely. And I went to go live in a one-room cabin in the woods in the middle of the North Georgia mountains. And I, with no indoor plumbing, no electricity... <laughs> And because all of a sudden I had done everything in my life that, you know, society told me I was supposed to, you know, be good, get a good education, get a good job, marry a great guy, make lots of money, have a foreign car in the garage and a great bin, a swimming pool. I did all that and none of it made me happy. So that was the turning point, like so, so many people of spirituality. So 
in that cabin, all of a sudden there I was alone in the middle of nowhere and my kundalini cracked and I started having out of body experiences, visions. I, you know, I couldn't go to sleep at night. Entities would be grabbing my body and pulling me out of my body and throwing me into slimy pits and, you know, <laughs> crypts and, and graveyards and fangs and red eyes. I mean, you know, it was just, it was terrifying. My God. My God. Yeah. Well, I had a master's degree in psychology, so I went back to one of my professors and he put me on to a shrink who basically, you know, wanted to study me under a microscope, which freaked me out even more because that meant what I was experiencing was I was sick. You know, there was something underneath all of that experience, Serafina, that you're so right. People don't go on this journey unless they're ready. And once you start opening this door, there is a commensurate, even though you might feel totally lost most of the time, you know, we're never given a task that we're not capable of. We may think we're not capable of it, and I mean by spirit, by whatever we want to call God. Mm. We're never given the opportunity or the calling unless we're capable of that. And I think part of the journey, to get back to your original question of how do we learn to feel protected in that, is that we have to feel unprotected for a while because that's just part of the birthing. That's the baby bird stepping out on the edge of the nest going, man, I feel really unprotected now. You know, I got to launch myself and fly and mommy can't do it for me. I think there's this inevitable point where we have to find the courage in us and be scared and feel unprotected because, you know, eventually we have to learn this really harsh lesson of that there's nothing outside of us that will ever protect us. Mm. I can never have enough money to protect me from the world's depredations. I can never have a big enough man in bed next to me at night to make me feel safe, to keep me safe. Mm. You know, I might feel safe, but am I safe? Who knows? You know, I could be living on Kilauea and have the whole mountain move beneath me. So. We have to finally slowly baby step after baby step and not be hard on ourselves and not be hard on ourselves when we are afraid and not be hard on ourselves when we do feel unprotected and alone. And where is God and what is God and why am I here and what the hell am I doing? These are all so natural steps and places that we have to walk through as we walk through them, the sense of and then we'll get a little in the midst of all that chaos. There'll be this one morning we'll wake up and there'll be this sense of I'm okay. Maybe it only lasts for the morning, but there's something that shows up that goes, oh, I really am. Wow, the sun is beautiful. The sun on my skin, the warmth, the birds, the life is good. And there's that moment when we're caught up in the truth Mm. of what life really is and what it's about and why we're here. We're here to experience life. We're not here to become famous opera singers or spiritual leaders. We're simply here to live life. This is giving God eyes, ears, nose, skin, tongue. This is giving God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, source intelligence, the opportunity to express Mm. what it is not. To give God the opportunity to express what it is not. It is not separate. It is not flesh. It is not (laughs) one thing. It is the all. So that is the baby steps. That's the whole journey, Serafina, is learning to that protection. And, and finally, it, it's, it's infinite and it's within us. And it's not until we go to that place over and over and over and over again and we begin to trust the, in, the unseen within us, within us, not outside of us. Then that's the journey of learning protection. 
I mean, to answer my own question, I think one way if people are curious to get on this path or have felt their own spirit and they want protection, they could always call a lady called Kate Montana or contact her through her website. Absolutely. They could tune into my podcast, Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul, because it's all about human beings going on that path that you went on and surviving it and then finding inner strength like you did. Yeah. And my mentor, Daiseku Ikeda, who is the president of the Sokka Gakkai, he sort of dedicated his life to world peace mm-hmm. through his Buddhist practice. And the way it has materialized is through peace charters to the United Nations, through nuclear abolition, you know, it's everything. And he never dreamt of that. Mm-hmm. He was a young man who made a commitment to world peace using Nichiren Buddhism, chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, studying the Lotus Sutra. And the way it sort of came about was out of his control and rightly so because we our intentions blossom in ways we can never expect. I mean, look at you. You went away to a cabin. You went through all of that and you survived it and you blossomed. Why? Because you made a commitment to something bigger than your ego. Yeah. made a commitment to something bigger and mm-hmm. something that you're going to do for the world to make the world realize that we're energy. You know, Absolutely. and I feel that's what's taken you from strength to strength. Absolutely. And there are many, you know, as you said, you can have a guru. You can email me, you know, um, email you. Um, you know, there are so many different schools of thought. You know, for many years, I did the surrounding myself in white light game until I finally realized that well, I got to the point where I'm no longer worried about separating myself or protecting myself from anything. Because when you're everything, what are you protecting yourself from? Yeah. But that's a long that was a 35-year journey to get to that place. You know, hell yes, I surrounded myself in white light and did all of those things and learned some practices for energy management and energy protection. So, um, yeah, it's a journey. And then just like anything else, you know, you don't do what you used to do in eighth grade when you're in a sophomore in college or when you're graduating, you're in university. You don't do what you, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You move along and you change with any with any luck and dedication and a sincere passion to know more and to know more and to know more and to know the truth and not get stuck in any one place, mm-hmm. in any one belief system. That's, boy, that's the trick. I tell you, Serafina, my ego was so happy when I got into spirit, when I became a spiritual being. When I became a spiritual human being, my ego was so proud of itself. It was like, look at me. I'm a spiritual person now. (laughs) (laughs) So what I ended up with, all unbeknownst to me, oh, my God, I knew about God. I knew about death. I knew why I was here. I knew about angels. I knew about everything. Yeah, after about 10, 15 years on the spiritual path, I knew everything. You could just ask me anything, Seraphina, I'd tell you the answer. Well, none of it was my answer. It was all stuff that I'd read and, and learned from other teachers. Mm. And what I realized at a certain point was that, and this is inevitable, what I had done by getting on the spiritual path and learning all this stuff and thinking I knew so much was that I had adopted a second layer of ego. Mm. I had become now, I now had the human ego. And belief about my individuality as a human being. And I also had a spiritual ego. <laughs> I'm a Buddhist. Well, I belong to this, da-da-da. Well, I go over here. Well, I do, the you know, et cetera. So that was interesting to realize and makes me laugh now. Looking back, it sure didn't make me laugh at the time. <laughs> oh, my God. This is great. And it's fantastic that you talk about it so candidly. You know, it makes you so human, so relatable. Well, I am definitely human. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, Dr. Wayne Dyer says, uh, the late Dr. Wayne Dyer, he said there are many ladders. Just make sure you have one. There are many ladders. Yeah. You know, I have a question I've been meaning to ask you. Let's talk about the excellence of our egos within the context of your new book. The E word. Ego, enlightenment, and other E essentials. I wish I'd been able to throw energy in there as the other E word, but that's what my classes and stuff will <laughs> partly be about. The excellence of the ego. Well, as I said earlier, if we didn't have an ego, we really wouldn't be able to function in this realm. Hmm. I, I think one of the, and I could be terribly wrong about this, but I think one of the aspects of autism, for example, is that there is a difficulty differentiating self from other in the autism spectrum. So, which is why oftentimes kids don't relate or they, or the flip side, they are so completely isolated in their own deluge of sensory input that they are isolated the other way. It's so important, isn't it? We need it. Absolutely. It's really our friend. Well, I would say it's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. I, I wouldn't call my ego a friend. It is what it is. It is my sense of self. I talk about this in the E word. I've had many, oh boy, here we go with the enlightenment word. I've had many experiences in of enlightenment. Now, let me tell you immediately that I just lied to you saying what I just said. Because the experience of enlightenment means that I, Kate Montana, was not home to have the experience. Kate Montana did not have the experience of enlightenment. Enlightenment is the experience of the illusion of Kate Montana as a being dissolved completely. So I'm left with I am. I am that I am. I am all that is. I am. But I am a human? No. I am Kate Montana? What a joke. What is Kate Montana? She. What is Serafina? Kate Montana is the sum total of all of my studying in school and all the hours I spent riding my horses and all of the time I, you know, played on the jungle gyms and all of the times I pursued men and all of my orgasms and, and all of my hopes and all of my fears, my career, my ambition, my money, my swimming pool. That's Kate Montana. And that's not who I am. And when all of that drops away and is recognized, oh, you see, because it's not even recognized, because at the point of recognition, there is no one separate from isness to recognize that something has fallen away. You know, the minute we say, I am going to become enlightened, and by God, I'm going to work and strive towards becoming enlightened, all we do is solidify the I, Kate Montana, who is going to become enlightened. But all I'm doing is solidifying the lie of Kate Montana with this goal of enlightenment. And enlightenment is the absence of Kate Montana altogether. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the biggest joke, Serafina, is when I started dropping into Sahaja Samadhi is that <laughs> it became abundantly apparent. It's like, oh, shit, I'm never going to become enlightened. Well, there went 20 years of striving and goal setting. And it was also the biggest laugh. I mean, I just about wet myself laughing. It was so funny. It was just like, oh, my God, I get it. Talk about a cosmic joke. I can't ever be enlightened because enlightenment is the absence of me altogether. Oh, what a joke. But boy, did it piss my ego off. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it did. I bet it did. You are the 
first, you are the first sort of spiritual person I say this because we've been talking about spiritual people, but you are the first human being to talk to me about ego expansion. And I love that. Mm -hmm. This is more from a very personal journey perspective. What is ego expansion and is it the journey into our soul? So does the ego expand into the soul? I really want to understand this. I don't compartmentalize things in terms of soul and spirit and all of that. So being conscious is what we are aware of, right? Right. So the more I can become aware of all of more and more of life, the more inclusive I can become, the bigger I get, the bigger my sense of self gets. But it's not the conflation of Cape Montana. It's like all of a sudden when I recognize deeply and I feel energetically the room the people in the room with me mm -hmm. the world the people in the world all the living beings on this planet my awareness and my sense of quote unquote self is expanded into this vast inclusiveness so when you meditate and you know you drop your daily concerns and you know on all of the issues and the yada yada in your head and the whatever in your gut you know kind of like where everything relaxes and you are just that expanded presence hmm. that's what i'm talking about i'm not talking about the place of enlightenment where there is no self anymore i'm talking about the mind and the senses the felt sense of expansion i mean if you all you have to do is just close your eyes and breathe and sense yourself in time and space well you with your eyes closed we become much more aware of the energetics around us and how we are seamlessly part of the whole so that's that expansion when we can translate that felt sense from those deep deep expanded moments in meditation with our eyes closed when we can begin to bring that into our waking moment day-to-day -day hmm. activity, that sense of inclusivity and peaceful expansion, that's when we start to actually expand the ego self in what I call Cape Montana. A perfect example of this, Serafina, is in the political arena in the United States right now. The perfect example of a narrow, narrow-minded, contracted, exclusive ego is Donald Trump. Mm. Incredibly fear-based, insecure man. Deeply, deeply fear-based and insecure. So he has narrowed everything down to fences and boundaries and look at me, look at me, look what I got. I want more, more, give me more to feed that emptiness inside of him. He is trapped in a very small cage. Terrifying. Now, the opposite of him, in some respects, in the political realm, was Bernie Sanders, yeah. a very expanded, very inclusive human being. You ask Donald Trump, oh, wow, you got that piece of, you know, that legislation passed, and he'll say, yes, I did it. I did it all by myself. Look at me. Bernie Sanders, I heard him do this in an interview. A reporter said, wow, you really got that piece of legislation passed. And the first things out of his mouth was, I didn't pass that. We passed that. It was the collective. It was all of us who made that happen. It wasn't me. Can you imagine Donald Trump, a narrow ego, ever saying that? Mm. So that's what I mean by expanding the self. That's what I mean about expanding the ego. And what's beautiful about that is that you feel lesser hatred when you think about people as the small ego or the contrived ego. 
you know yes instead of all the hatred that people are feeling that then becomes negative energy that then just stays in this negative cycle if people understand that it's all egos operating they will realize that there will be a detachment from the hate and they yes. can actually continue in their life without letting that negativity spill over and in a sense you know the best way to stand up to donald trump is to de-ego in whatever way you can mm -hmm. because don't reflect back what he's reflecting to you exactly it's everywhere you're right i mean today the world has the biggest invitation in the states to go deeper to go within because of what they see externally yep it's so beautiful i mean it's scary and it's unattractive but again as i said earlier we can't deal with something we can't see so the shadow side of humanity is out on the plate and we're all looking at it and you are so right seraphina that that when we begin to understand exactly what a donald trump is doing and where he's at in consciousness you know it's not always easy but i have such compassion for the man and I've gone through and don't think for a moment that I haven't screamed and beat my head against the wall and cursed and posted really bad shit on Facebook about him and all sorts of stuff in my anger towards him. And yet I know that that's just feeding his whole game. So, yeah, that's what I love about this whole education thing is the more we can understand and learn about how life works, how we operate, how the ego operates, then we can get a handle on it. We're not run by it anymore. Tell the audience more about your educational program, where you're going to roll it out and who's going to benefit from it as a starter. Well, I wish I could be absolutely clear and say it's going to roll out October 15th in Chicago, but I don't know yet. I'm still in the curriculum building uh, stages of it. I went through a very sobering, very difficult year when the E-word came out and my publisher wanted me to be on stage and wanted me to be teaching and be this big yada yada spiritual teacher. I was all for it. And but then I hit a wall. I realized it, I had a hard time promoting myself, uh, you know, talking about the dissolution of the ego. And I realized in my journey of trying to become a blossom as a spiritual teacher that I was still very hooked. My ego was still very hooked into a desire and an absolute need for success. Mm. And I backed away from all of teaching because I was like, I was not going to feed that. In a way, I had to become an abject failure in my own eyes, a failure to become a teacher. I had to grow last year. I had to let go all of my expectation and my need to be successful and to get the E word out there and to all of that because it was still a lot coming from my ego's need for fame and success. Now, a year later, or a year and a half later, I've come out the other side of that, and I've got more compassion for myself and more compassion for other people. To be, You know, we're so driven. We're so driven to strive and to be successful so that we feel good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was not the last piece that I, that I will learn about my ego and how it trips me up, but it was a major one. Because if I had set myself up as a spiritual teacher and really gone for it and become very well-known, it really would have gone to my head. And I would not have continued the interior expansion that I've experienced. So now that I feel that I've got a handle of, on that, I don't feel the need to succeed so much anymore. Now I can just simply share right. from the place of that's just all I want to do is share. So what is coming to me is this whole download of a educational curriculum, starting with little children in grade school, that's tailored for everybody. Because the facts of life are just the facts of life. The very first fact of life is if we don't know how life works, if we don't know who we are or why we're here, 
how can we possibly expect to live a fulfilling, happy life? We don't know the basic answers to the basic questions. So that's fact of life number one. You know, there's only certain things we can know. We can only experience the body, the mind, our emotions, and as we become more subtle and attuned, our energy. So we're locked into these basics. This is what I can experience through. And then we feel so alone and separate from God and the universe and everything else. And then we start cooking up stories. And then we have religions, different stories to give ourselves the answers that we can't find through the body, the mind, the emotions, or even energy. But once we get all of the team on board and working together, we can start to actually know the answers. Again, we have to know what we're working with. So that's part of the core curriculum of introducing people to energy, introducing people to the ego. Well, this is what it is. It's born when you are, when you start getting these ideas, your eyes keep telling you, mommy's out there, mommy's out there, mommy's out there. Wow. Okay. I'm over here. We have to educate ourselves over and over as to the basics. And then we can build on that. Right. Then we can start to fly. You are so refreshing. I'm not wearing a hat. I would take it off and bow to you. You're actually, oh my God, you're way bigger than fame and you're way bigger than being a publisher's version of a spiritual teacher because I think educating kids right at school level is going yeah. to make the difference. And like you said, you plan to also talk to older people. Yeah. I think to affect society on those two ends is going to cause a wave of change for generations that are going to go and come. And I think through your books, there are already various ways that people can access this knowledge that you're trying to share with us in yeah. such a human way, in such a relatable way that it's going to be a cross section, I think, of people understanding this whole energy thing and essentials, ego, enlightenment. <laughs> The essentials. Yeah, God, because Serafina, once we've got that, we've got it. Mm. Everything will be different. We will be able to create a heaven on earth. Wow. Is because we will know what's what, finally. You know, and that's the beauty of science. That was the beauty of what the belief is that it began to give us the proof that we desperately need in this modern technological society of ours to satisfy the mind. Mm. But how beautiful that is, how else could it do but point us in the same direction as meditation? Because this is the truth. We are all one. <laughs> we are all one. And we are. Yeah. It's so true. Well, that's such a beautiful place to leave this. But I do like to ask my guests, and you would be such a wonderful guest to ask this. What is your self-care routine? And this could be a tip you're leaving the audience with that they could incorporate into their life. <laughs> well, you know, like everything, it's a journey. Yeah. Uh, I started off with very little self-care. Um, <laughs> how much te tequila could I drink? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Everyone's at the pub. When women love themselves, they're at the pub and totally. Let's just totally. give you a few different ideas, shall we? Yeah, you know, I think the different idea from from a spiritual point of view, it's really nice to get over all of the shoulds, mm -hmm. and you know, I shouldn't drink, or I should do this, or I should wear white, or I, or I should abstain from whatever polyester, TV, sex, rock and roll, tequila. I think one of the greatest things to get is to get the monkey off your back and just live a human life. And I have discovered that when something is done with me and when I am done with something, it falls away. Mm. Now, I have to say it took a long time for the booze to fall away. <laughs> but, 
but it but it has because I used it. You know, we, the things we do, the things we eat, the things we do, we do for a reason, Serafina. And for let's take alcohol for example. I drank because it served me because I came from an abusive background. Well, shoot, I think we all come from an abusive background more or less. And I used it as a coping mechanism. It served me so well for a very long time. It served my ego when I was playing in television. It was me and a 40-man television crew. And what did we do after a gig? We went out to the sports bar and we drank. To be one of the guys, I had to drink. So it served me well. Now, in my 60s, at this level of refinement and inclusivity and expansion, it no longer serves me because all it does is dull me and make me less capable of being all that I can be. So it's become a conscious choice. So my advice to people is, do what you want until you don't want to do it anymore. And don't beat yourself up if you fall off the wagon, whether it's marijuana, whether it's porn, whether it's whatever. Is You have to set the intent of being more and lo through love, mm -hmm. through self-love. I'm going to do this because, not because some rule tells me I have to do this, but because there's something in me that makes me want to protect my body and love this precious life and love myself enough to make an effort and if I fall down and the effort isn't big enough I will just keep at it until one day I stand up envision that person envision the weight loss or envision how your body feels if you don't have to depend on pot every day envision how it feels to be what you dream of being and experience it energetically mm. be that person if only for a few 15 minutes a day, yeah. you envision what that new place and being is, you will one day walk into it. That is a given. If you're sincere, you have to be sincere. My God, you are a gift from God. Honestly, thank you for that. Thank you so oh. much. That's almost like you've given me permission to do a few things this weekend. So not drinking, <laughs> not drinking I reassure you. It's not drinking. <laughs> but you have given me permission to do a bit of self-love this weekend. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're here for, Serafina, is to have this experience, to have it full on, to be more and more capable of ex more and more and greater expression so that, you know, it's like a painter. If you've got four paint colors on your palette, you've got a very narrow existence. But if you've got the full spectrum of color to work with, wow, what a great life. It's not going to be void of pain, but wow, you're going to be full at the end. <laughs> Oh my God, that's a great way to look at it. That's a great way. Thank you. You are so welcome. Where can my audience reach you, please? www.katemontana.com. That's Kate with a C, katemontana.com. Or they can email me at info at katemontana.com. Or they can go to Ego Trippia on Facebook or Kate Montana on Twitter or Kate Montana on Facebook. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank Serafina. Bless your heart. Thank you for having me on the show. Now you don't have to go to a cabin in the woods without running water to meditate and have your Kundalini break you through your barriers. But what you can do is plant a seed to connect more with your soul and to do the things that you love until they lead you deeper inside you. I hope that conversation enlightened you in some way, made you curious about enlightenment in another way, or plain simple entertained you. I hope there was something for everyone in there. This is Serafina, your host, leaving you with a little more love for life.